blessing as we get ready to pray. You have somebody on your heart this morning. Anybody that burdens you. If you do, just say amen. If you have the capability right now, why don't you just shoot them a text and just tell them, I love you and I'm praying for you. And just take just a moment to do that. You can go ahead and get those out. Then put your phones away after that. But uh, you can go ahead and be seated. That might be easier. And uh, let somebody get a blessing from you today. A tangible thing that lets them know that not only does God care about them, but you do too. And as children of God, that's what we're called to do. Can you think of somebody? And, uh, sure. I want to share one prayer request with you from church members that watch us every week Chip and Kathy Harrison from California some of you have been praying for his friend Randy he's been sharing the gospel with him he's had an open door he had cancer surgery that they didn't know whether he'd survive or not he had that recently not only did he survive the surgery but he got a good report from the cancer so Chip still has an open door and he asked for us to pray for Randy's salvation amen one more chance to share the gospel with Randy so uh, thank you for doing that, Chip, and thank you for letting us know. Okay. So you got it? Let's uh, bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Okay. Father, as we think about uh, this world as it is ravaged by sin, and even believers, we get hit by all of that as it splashes upon us. And uh, we battle problems. We battle situations we can't handle we battle things we don't understand and uh, Lord we want to thank you that our victory and our hope as we just sang is in our living hope the Lord Jesus Christ and forgive us when we we don't actually forget it we just don't really look to it and we don't really stand on it we got some people in our church right now that are battling some things that are deeply personal and uh, they're the kind of things that hurt so greatly and we want to pray for them praying for families praying for parents praying for children praying for uh, grandparents praying for husbands and wives praying father that you would bring our homes into harmony under the lordship of christ praying that you would save our children and save our grandchildren praying that you would bring prodigals home praying that you would end rebellion praying that you would rescue marriages from divorce praying that you would reconcile maybe even divorced couples how wonderful would that be and father as we think about all of that we think about what it must be like for people who are like Rick Saunders, we pray for him as he recovers from COVID-19 and thankful that the symptoms have been mild so far. And we take that as an answered prayer. We pray, Lord, for teachers and students as they are returning to the classroom and all of the things that uh, that entails, health and education and planning and all of that. Pray for administrators and uh, school boards and pray that you would give them wisdom to know how to handle these things some people are going way too far with this and some people maybe you're not taking it seriously enough only you know Lord we ask you to give them grace and to protect our children some people have decided to educate their children at home and that raises new challenges as well we pray for them 
Pray for people who are affected economically by this virus and by the shutdown. Pray that you would restore jobs and pray that you would uh, restore people's retirement funds, those kind of things. I know you care about all of that, and that's what we pray for. But Lord, at the same time, remind us that none of these things matter if today is the day that the trumpet's going to sound. None of that matters if the coming of the Lord is indeed at hand. And help us to remember the most important thing is to be right with you. There are people who are listening to this right now who don't know Christ as Savior and Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, convict them and draw them to the cross. And cause all of us who know you to stand firm on what really matters. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning. Find Exodus chapter 12. That ought to be fairly easy. And let's go down to verse 29. And uh, I want to talk. It's going to sound strange in uh, light of where, where we are in all of this. But I want to talk about when hope is slim. Now the reason I want to talk about that is when you and I read this story, we already know what's going to happen. And so we think about, you know, the things that they've been going through. Ah, no big deal. It's all going to work out in the end. And yet the truth of the matter is for you and me, we know it's all going to work out in the end. But sometimes daily life gets us down and just sucks the hope right out of us. I don't really like raisins much, but I do like grapes. And one of my grandchildren said, you don't like raisins? Don't you like grapes? And I said, yeah. And uh, here's, I heard somebody say one time, a raisin is just a grape with all of its hopes and dreams sucked out of it. You ever felt like a spiritual raisin? And yet you know, Romans 8, 28, you know all of those kind of things. And yet it doesn't always seem to help right now because we have this question of, well, when? When are you going to do this? Now, hope to me is having confidence, assurance in Christ about tomorrow. And I think it's not just crossing my fingers. It's not, I hate it when people say, knock on wood. You don't need to knock on wood. You've got Jesus. You don't need luck. You've got him. And when you think about him and finding your hope in him and thinking about the future, there are some things in everyday life that will bring you great optimism about the future. Let's go to the next slide. Look at that. That's our newest grandbaby, Olivia Michelle Keenan. Isn't, that, isn't she pretty? And you think about that. What does the birth of a baby tell you? There's hope. And all of a sudden, your perspective changes. You parents know exactly what I mean. It quits being about you and it's about them and raising them and educating them and their health and well-being and all of that. And it's exciting. We've got some babies that are on their way in our own church fellowship that we look forward to meeting and dedicating and watching them grow up. That's a great thing. This is the kind of thing that gives you hope for the future. Okay, look at the next slide. We got some news this uh, last month that uh, we're going to have another one. And uh, Chelsea is expecting. And that'll be number eight. Can you believe that? We've gone from zero to eight in just a few years. And uh, uh, man, uh, I don't know how to say this any better. I need a raise. <laughs> you know? Uh, Christmas is going to kill us. 
and birthdays and all of that. You know, can any grandparents say amen to that? And uh, you, know, you, you look at these things and you go, oh, this is great. Can't wait. But I also want to say something else. The birth of these children bothers me. You know what I mean by that? What kind of a world are they being born into? What kind of stuff is getting ready to happen? And what I found out as I was preparing, and I'm very excited about preaching this today, is that hope kind of sets on a razor's edge. It's like walking on a tightrope sometimes. And you feel like either way you go, happiness, joy, excitement, or maybe fear, concern, wondering what's going on. Because as we look at the world around us, I'll make a pretty bold statement. I think probably most of us don't really understand what's going on. And the things we think that we do understand about what's going on, all it takes is one news report or something like that to go, well, that blew that. I don't get this at all right now. And I thought about that when I thought about the people of Israel. You see, when you're a slave, the only thing you can think about is freedom. Freedom, baby. Freedom, boy. And then when Moses says, we're leaving, we're going out of here. Yay, we're free. Can you imagine the shout, the celebration, the joy? Till you get to the Red Sea. Till you wonder what you're going to drink. Till you're in the desert and you're not sure what you're going to eat. And all of a sudden, you find that hope can go from extreme joy to, oh no. And that's the story, isn't it, of the wilderness experience of these same people. Because what starts out is, this is the answer to everything. This is it. Man, we'll never be depressed or sad. We'll never be beaten. We'll never feel the lash of the whip. Nobody will have us gathering our own straw for bricks that are not ours. This will never happen again. And then you take the journey, and then things can change very rapidly. Where are we going? What are we going to do? How are we going to get there? And this message will give you some things to think about because in your own life, in your spiritual journey, as well as in your physical journey, there are just some things you don't know about tomorrow, things that you don't know about next week. There are some, you don't know who's going to win in November. You don't know what the course of the economy is going to be. You don't know what the state of your health is going to be. There's a whole lot more out there to think about than just COVID-19, right? A lot of other things can creep up. Things can happen. And then you can be like that grape with its hopes and dreams sucked out of it. And you turn into a spiritual raisin. God doesn't want that for you and neither do I. So let's begin reading in the book of Exodus chapter 12 verse 29. It's time to go. Time to leave. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all of his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses. He told Moses before, if I ever see you again, you're a dead man, remember? Well, things change. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night 
And he said, Rise and go out from among my people, both you and the children of, or the descendants of Israel or Jacob, the Jews, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Okay, and take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. It's interesting. Look at verse 33. And the Egyptians, the normal everyday people, urged the people, the Jews, that they might send them out of the land in haste. They're driven out, aren't they? For they said, we shall all be dead. They uh, viewed keeping the slaves as a curse, right? Verse 34, so the people took their dough before it was leavened. No yeast in it. It hadn't risen yet. Having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. That's how quickly they're leaving. Verse 35, now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. And then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses, that city that they had been working on and building as slaves, to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude, have you ever noticed this? A mixed multitude went up with them also, which means that there were some Egyptians and some other people who said, forget all of this stuff in Egypt, I'm going with them. And they joined up and trusted in the Lord. And also flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough, which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait. They couldn't wait for it to rise or anything like that. And uh, look at this. Nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. And we'll stop there. Now when I look at this, I'm thinking about what must have been going through their mind when they hear the pronouncement, Pharaoh has said we're free. An emancipa emancipation, you might say. And can you imagine the joy? We're free. We can leave. We can go. I wonder what it was like when they got those 600,000, it's a lot of people, men on foot. Now, if you take children, what if every man has two children? And then there's also someone else missing in that count, and that's the wives. You're talking about a million plus people very easily. And Moses has to lead them out of Egypt. Can you imagine how many people would have questions? Again, what are we going to do? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? We don't have anything ready. It told us that the very last thing that we read, they had uh, not made provisions for all of this. They didn't have time. They weren't ready for it. And in some cases may not have had what they needed completely for it. So things can go from great joy to questions, to uh, maybe a little bit of fear 
Maybe even in some cases, when you find them by the Red Sea, absolute and abject terror. This is not working out the way that it was supposed to work. We've all had that. I want to have my own business, someone might say. I want to work for myself. I don't want to work for the man anymore. I want to be able to take care of myself and take care of my family and do what I want to do and work my own hours. Boy, sounds like a great life, said someone who doesn't own their own business. Because those of you who are business owners know that there are great joys in owning your own business. But also, once that happens, when you quit your job where you receive a paycheck and then you go out on your own, now it's all on you. And by the way, during this time, I want you to know that as I drive up and down the streets, I pray for people and their businesses. The Bible says that if a man doesn't provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. And I know Paul is talking about lazy people who won't take care of their family or extended family, and they try to throw it all on the church. But at the same time, as I pray, I say, Lord, will you bless our economy and bless those who run businesses because you have ordained that they take care of their family and they can't do that if they're not making income. Just want you to know you're being prayed for if you own your own business. And uh, we think about someone who does that. Boy, this is the day and you step into that new work and you're, well, it's all on you. What do you do when everything's going good? You rejoice, but at the same time, while things are going well, you also have it in the back of your mind, yeah, but be ready, it may be slim tomorrow. Next week, it may be different. A virus may hit and things may shut down. Who would have ever saw, seen that coming? Just amazing. And so as we look at these people and we put ourselves in their shoes, we can kind of relate to them a little bit. Hope has another side to it. So how, what do we do when hope is slim? What do we do when the reality of a situation finally and uh, firmly hits us? Well, the first thing to remember out of this is everything happened just as God said. See, God is a God who makes promises. And He's a God who cannot lie. Our God is a God who makes decrees. And like a king who says, this is my edict, this is my decree. We can count on the fact that it's going to come to pass. Now, sometimes when you have a, okay, let's take President Trump, for example. He's going to get the wall built. It's like 200 miles of the wall built. That's not exactly what we were banking on when we heard him talk in the 2016 campaign, right? But sometimes when you make promises you run into some barriers that kind of prevent you. And so it's like, and you'll hear this in the campaign, we are building the wall. And they are, they're building the wall. But it's not quite in the same way that was expected. But it's also not just like he didn't do it either. And so many times with politicians and sometimes with friends and family and just in general, promises are made and they're sort of, kind of, you know, in a way they're kept. But not exactly the way that we would have thought or the way that we understood, just kind of, sort of. It's kind of like if somebody borrows money from you and, oh, they're so thankful, I'll pay you X amount of money every week and they do it for three weeks. And then all of a sudden they forget. Then all of a sudden things are a little bit tight and they couldn't quite do it. But I'm going to. And then maybe later they give you a little bit more. But it's not quite the way it was. 
You understand what I'm saying about that? One of the things that you will find about God and the reason these stories like these are written here in the Bible is that you find out that God doesn't go, well, you know, we sort of kind of a little bit got it. Uh, we were close. Well, we tried really, really hard. You're going to find that God is a God who does everything that he promise, promises and he does it exactly in the way that he promised. And so here it is. What happens? The firstborn of the Egyptians die. And all of the houses that have the blood on the doorpost, they're spared from all of it. And these slaves, where Pharaoh first says, Who is God that I should let these people go? Now he's summoning Moses and Aaron. And he's saying, Go and get out. And all of those things that you said before you wanted to take with you that I resisted and tried to get you to compromise take them all and go and get out of here and go in haste and you know what that didn't look like that the day before it didn't look like that the week before it didn't look like that was going to happen a month before or a year before in fact for 400 years it hadn't looked this way but you go back to the book of Genesis and you know what you find God promised Abraham that this was going to happen, that they would be enslaved, his descendants, right? And then they would be delivered and brought back to that land. Well, it didn't look that way for so long, but everything changed because God is faithful. Child of God, listen to me. Listen to me. You've got hopes. You've got dreams. And more than that, you've got promises from the Lord. And maybe right now, where is that promise? Maybe you don't see it taking place today or tomorrow. And maybe it's been a long, dry spell. But I want to ask that you might open your hearts to the Word of God and the Spirit of God to know that God will do exactly what He promised and He will do it in the way He has promised and He'll do it in His good time. Just trust in the Lord and wait on Him. There's another thing that comes out of these scriptures that I want you to see. Notice the difference in Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the most hard-hearted person on earth, the proud, arrogant king of Egypt, the man who thinks that he is God, the man who thinks that nobody can do anything against him or against his people because he has supernatural power to protect them. I uh, listened the other night to... Uh, Vice President Biden's speech, and of course you expect him to go against the current president. And this week it'll be the same way against the Democrats. And there'll be some lies that'll be told and some exaggerations and some great boasts. And there'll be a lot of things. It, it always happens in politics, right? But Mr. Biden said something that kind of sent a chill up and down my spine. He said, this president, speaking of President Trump, has failed to protect us. And he said, this is a paraphrase, As your president, I will protect the American people from all threats, seen or unseen. I want to ask you a question. There's only one being on the universe that can protect us from all threats, especially the unseen threats. You know who that is? That's God. You see, that's kind of a statement that borders on a little bit of arrogance. Maybe a whole lot of arrogance, right? And how in the world do you do that? And I kind of wonder if every president doesn't have a little bit of a 
God complex, getting the big head. I mean, what would you think it would be like if all of a sudden you go from private citizen to the most powerful person on the face of the earth with the swearing-in ceremony? I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. I think that would all be uh, something that would be kind of hard to handle and hard to stay humble, right? You used to see bumper stickers that said it's hard to be humble when you're a Sooner, right? Well, it's got to be really hard to be humble when you're president. Amen? Got to be tough. Got to be tough. And I think about Pharaoh. What was his life like concerning himself and his empire? Moses and Aaron show up. They look like bumpkins from the desert. Sheep herders. And you remember we're told in Genesis that shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. And now a couple of shepherds show up in Pharaoh's throne room. And they come in and they have the audacity to say, Our God, your God doesn't look like much. He's a God of shepherds. He commanded you to let our people go. You kidding me? That's worse than a COVID-19 shutdown, isn't it? I'm not going to affect my economy, my well-being, and all of that because a couple of shepherds tell me that their shepherd God has commanded me to let them go. Who is this God, and who are you, and why should I do this? By the time we get to the 10th plague, Pharaoh has been hit where it hurts. He hasn't been able to protect his people. The gods of the Nile could not protect the people. The gods of all of the land and all of their idols. I mean, the Egyptians, what are they thinking here? All of the money, all of the sacrifices, all of the time, all of the worship, all of the rituals, and my child is gone. My livestock, the firstborn of them, it's gone. And Pharaoh couldn't protect me from that because a mortal man cannot protect you from that. That's why in our money, when it says, in God we trust... It's got to be more than a slogan. It's got to be reality for a country like ours. And that's got to start in people like you and me. It's not the stock market. It's not the president. It's not politics. It's not any of that. It's got to be in God we trust. Tough lesson to learn sometimes. And sometimes you learn it the hard way. And notice here that the worst of the worst are no match for Yahweh. No match for Yahweh. Oh, they may think they are, and they may shake their fist in his face, and they may be bold and arrogant, and it may look like they've got everything going for them, but their day is coming. Their day is coming. And understand that as you look at this world, the rich, the powerful, the famous, those you know, that we idolize, those that we could never aspire to, those who seem to have everything on their side. Understand, if they don't know Jesus Christ, they don't have everything on their side. They're severely lacking in true power and true strength because we have God. And God is with us. God is for us. And God is walking with us in all of these situations. Thirdly, uh, notice here that as we move along thinking about Uh, all of this in this story there's something here that we don't want to miss bad situations can change rapidly 
I know sometimes we get discouraged because we look at things and we go, I don't see anything changing. Nothing seems to be happening. And someone says, oh, have hope. And we go, there's no hope. Nothing's happening. What are you talking about? What are you, some Pollyanna, some sunny person who just always sees the good in everything? And then you get your hopes and dreams squashed again. The raisin, the grape turning into the raisin. Well, when we look at this story, something happens because... Before Passover, what's happened? They're just slaves. I mean, even through the blood and even through the flies and even through all of those things, the darkness and all of that, they're still just slaves. You say, well, uh, after the third plague, it didn't hit them. Yeah, but that didn't set them free. They were still slaves. If you had talked to them the night before Passover... And Moses said, it's time to kill the lambs and put the blood on the doorpost. What would you have done? Would you have said, this is crazy. This is crazy. What what are we doing this for? Would you have believed? I'd like to think that I would have. But I got a feeling I would have been the person that I would have probably, you know, Brother Chad's down here. I probably would have said, Chad, you doing this? And he would probably go, well, yeah. That's what we're supposed to do. And I would probably be the one going, okay. I don't know. He probably would have to encourage me. Come on, pastor, do it. It'd be a good thing. You know, what do we got to lose? That kind of thing. What would you be like? Do we really trust Moses? Do we really believe God's going to do this? Yeah, we've seen some miraculous things. But, but you know, making everything dark is one thing. But actually getting us out of the grip of Pharaoh, man, I don't know. I don't know. But I bet all of that changed when they heard the screams and the wails and the cries from all the Egyptian households. And can you imagine at that point, that's the time when Brother Chad would go, See, I told you. And that's about the point that I hope that I would say, It's true. It's tr- this is real. And then the word comes out. Pack your stuff. Get it all together. We're going out of here. And we're going to the promised land. We're going to the land that was set aside by our God to our forefather Abraham. We're going to the land where we're going to be landowners, where we're going to be free, where we're going to be able to have our own businesses and raise our family in freedom. We can worship our God. Oh, this is going to be an amazing thing. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Because they went from slave to freedom with that one decree from Pharaoh that was brought about not by Pharaoh but by God. I want to tell you something. You may have some things in your life where you look and you see no end in sight. And you're afraid that the light at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train, right? Everything could change for you before this service is over. Things could happen before the month is finished. Things could change for you and you would never see it coming. And you've got to be ready for it. You've got to be ready for it because our God is a powerful God who can change bad situations rapidly. I wonder how many mamas wept over their children, fasted and prayed over their child that was wayward or in prison. And then they got the letter. 
And that letter said, Dear Mama, I trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord today. And everything changed just like that. Where a prodigal comes home and everything changes just like that. Where a family gets together and maybe a husband says, Honey, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And everything changes just like that. We serve a miracle-working God. And just because you're stuck in it right now, you're not going to be stuck forever. And one of these days, those blessings will will come rolling in and things can change rapidly and the things that are unthinkable all of a sudden become not only possible but they become a reality because like the slaves God is a God who liberates all of us somebody say amen to that and you've got to hold on to that hold on to that and then fourthly would you notice here that the Bible tells us that they left and they left in haste and when they left I mean, they didn't even have time to let the bread rise. Walking out of there in their kneading bowls or in their clothes that are, uh, you know, on their shoulders. I mean, they didn't even have time to properly pack. That's what that means. And so the Bible tells us here that when they are getting ready to leave, they leave in haste. And some people are going, uh, I don't even have a tent. I don't have a sleeping bag. I don't have anything like that. Well, I had one, but I didn't have time to go get it. And notice that that last phrase in that section tells us, well, it tells us about them traveling and leaving and all of that. But it says, they, uh, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. You know, sometimes we think that if we don't get it all figured out, get it all planned, get it all prepared for, God can't do anything. Where do we ever get that idea? Now, that's not an excuse to be lazy or to be a bad steward or anything like that. But it does tell us one thing. Sometimes things happen in your life that you're not prepared for. Anybody say amen to that? Sometimes things change and you're not ready. Oh, what am I going to do? I didn't know this was coming. Turn to the Lord and say, I didn't see it coming, but you did. I didn't have time to prepare, but you've got everything that I need. And you will take care of me through all of this. Which means that fourth point is that when we don't have our plans made, our ducks in a row, we don't have everything in order, when something hits us out of the blue, when something terrorizes us, when something pops up and, and we go, what do I do? And we don't know what to do. Trust your heavenly father because he does. He saw it coming. He planned for it. And in that plan, he made provision for everything. You wouldn't even know what to do. You see, if you're a slave, and your fathers were slaves, and your grandfathers were slaves, and all the way back for 400 years, you don't really know how to be free. You don't really know what freedom looks like. If they had asked you to write out a grocery list, you wouldn't know what you need. It had been a long time since you had done anything on your own. But here's the deal. God knew. And God knew the track they were going to take. He knew where they were going to go. He knew how long they were going to be in the wilderness. He knew what they were going to need in the wilderness. He even knew what was going to happen when Pharaoh changed his mind and came after them. And Israel's trapped at the Red Sea. He had a way of deliverance. Our God not only has a way, but he is the way. And he is the plan. And he's the one who knows. Because he sees and he provides everything that we need. Even when we don't have a plan, God does. So I just want to wrap up by saying 
Where do you have your hope today? Hope in your circumstances? Some people do. Hope in politics? Pardon the pun, but I hope not. Hope in reform? There are a lot of people marching and shouting and they're angry and all of that because I want things to reform. I want to tell you something. A lot of things like that don't change the way you want them to. Hope in leaders. Hope in your plans. I've got it all planned out. I've got everything ready to go. Well, a stock market crash or a layoff or a sickness or cancer, or the death of a loved one, or anything like that. Things can change in a hurry. So I close by saying this. I love this verse, Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Now, if we stopped right there, I could give you about 50 good reasons right now why things don't look so great in the United States of America. Even in the election, when we come up, in November, when we think about those things in our candidate, I think all of us instinctively knows there's no one that has all of the answers and can get everything done. All it's doing is maybe buying us some time, right? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? I can think of a lot of reasons to be downcast. So could David. And then he said, and why are you disquieted within me? Why is it that our faith doesn't rise up? Why is it that it doesn't take over? Why is it that the doom and the gloom and the uncertainty seem to rule and they seem to rob us of our joy? And David gives the answer, and here's what he says, hope in God. You see, what David was saying is, when you get downcast and when your soul is disquieted within you, that's just the Holy Spirit by His love and by His grace Tapping you on the shoulder and saying, son, daughter, you're looking to the wrong person. You're looking in the wrong place. You're looking in the wrong circumstances. Hope in God. Turn it around to him. For I shall yet praise him. There's the future. And the help of my countenance and my God. Everything changes when you put your hope in God. You look to a God who does everything he decrees to do the way that he said he would do it. You look to a God who can handle the worst of the worst. They're no match for him. You look to a God that is the God who tells us that as we are going and as we are doing what he wants us to do in living, we may not understand everything, but this is the God who does, and he's got it all planned out, and he's got his eye upon you. Jesus said, why are you worried about what you'll eat or drink or what tomorrow's going to hold? The sparrows, they don't worry about it. And you know what? God sees every time a sparrow falls and you're more valuable than a sparrow. Look at the lilies of the field. They're here today and gone tomorrow and yet Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of them. So what does he tell us to do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And all God's people said... Amen. Hope in God. If you've never trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, repent of your sins. Put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you and that He rose from the dead and surrender to Him as Lord and get to know Him as your Lord and as your Savior. And you'll find that you have a God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your only hope 
And the good news is he's not just the hope of the past. He is your living hope for everything that you face. May we pray together? Oh, Lord, I pray for people whose hope has run slim. And I want to pray today that through this little message, you have reminded them that hope is eternal and hope is abundant because the hope is in a living, unlimited, all-powerful, all-seeing, ever-present God. And we access that hope by putting our faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And I thank you for your promises. And I thank you, Father, that when it's all said and done, we will say, our living hope did all things well. And he worked exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us so that Jesus receives glory in his church throughout all generations. That's what our prayer is. Fill the hopeless with hope because you fill them with yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.